Tom Jenkins is a 2020 West Farmers John Monash Scholar. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering and Business Management and a Master of Professional Engineering with Distinction, Electrical and Electronic Engineering from the University of Western Australia. Tom was awarded the valedictorian of his master's cohort, having been ranked the number one student across all engineering disciplines at the University of Western Australia. He is now studying at IE University in Spain, where he is focused on battery longevity. And he joins us now from Colombia. Tom, welcome to the program. Yeah, hi. Uh, very nice to be here. It's um, my, my first experience on a podcast, so I hope I can um, do it justice. <laughs> well, hopefully it's an easy ride for you. I'm really interested to find out more about your career, Tom. But firstly, what are you doing in Colombia? How did you get there? It's pretty easy for me to answer. And the short answer is I'm married. I married a Colombian in 2020. So it wasn't too long ago, but I married a Colombian and then life's been easy for me i guess i'm I'm very lucky to have her in my life and um because she's colombian and i i'm studying a very hybrid a flexible learning degree i can study from really anywhere in the world so i i have an opportunity to be in australia or be in spain or in a combination of spain and colombia which is what i've chosen and um, I'm here now. I've been learning the language and immersed in the culture, and it's all going well. So, so where where physically are you in Colombia? Where whereabouts are you living? You're probably aware of a city called Medellin. Uh, so I'm living in Medellin. You know, it's it's famous for a few things, but I won't get into that today. And um, <laughs> I've I've seen a few TV shows, Tom. <laughs> but it's actually a very wonderful place to to live, and a very wonderful place for me to practice my Spanish. I mean, I'm, I'm completely immersed in the culture. So I, I can only talk to my wife in English and friends back in Australia or overseas. But everyone here on the street, it's just Spanish. There are unique words that you pick up in Colombia, in Medellin in particular, like pues and paisa. They're very common ones. So I'm picking up the lingo and I probably have a bit of a, a Medellin or a paisa accent now. <laughs> so let me get this straight you're you're an australian studying at a university in spain but living in colombia is that right that is right and for the most part i am in colombia but i do travel there are face-to-face -face periods in adai um you know for a few weeks up to a month um, at a time and i go there and sometimes I stay longer and come back and I did start the degree uh, in Australia. So when COVID was very rampant, rampant a uh, while ago, I was um, studying from Australia. Have you um, have you had a chance to see much of South America while you've been over there? Yeah, well, fortunately, this isn't my, my first time. When we were in Spain, we did see a lot of the, the sites in, in Madrid and also uh, in Barcelona. So we saw the... Um, La Sagrada de Familia, which is a really large cathedral, very fam famous cathedral. Yeah. Oh, amazing. I've seen it. And we did a bit of tourist stuff there. But it's taken a couple of hundred years to, to get to get there. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's a remarkable feat of the architecture. 
Um, and so that was very, very interesting, as well as, you know, just place where in, in Madrid, I saw Lucy. So you're aware of Lucy from the movie Lucy, but also the, um, you know, the history of the very first, supposedly, uh, the very first, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it, origins of, of humankind. So very first origins, very interesting to see. It's like probably uh, our very first ancestor. So that was incredibly interesting to see. Saw uh, some some artworks in the Sofia Arena Museum um, Art Gallery, which was incredibly interesting. And also the last time I, I came to South America, we visited Argentina Chile and Peru. So I've done a fair bit now. And when did you say you went You went there? How long have you been over there? Uh, well, Spain was last year when I um, probably about a third of the way through my degree, I went to Spain because um, the flights opened up in Australia. Uh, however, I've been in South America before approximately two years ago. And how how's it been studying outside of Australia, particularly with COVID? Give us an insight into what that, that experience has been like. I think it's quite difficult whether you're in Australia or outside of Australia. Uh, it really does depend on, you know, um, procedures, policies and the rules of individual institutions. So, you know, Australian students have been doing it hard too, but I'm very fortunate that IE in this particular MBA I've chosen is a hybrid of a hybrid format, which means I can do in face, I can do online. Um, I often, you know, have phone calls with other students and socialize that way with them. Um, so it has been difficult, but fortunately, because they're so well adept at online studying, it has been, you know, quite a good experience. Just on that, Tom, what was it that made you choose IE University in Spain for your MBA? Because you could study MBAs literally anywhere in the world. I think a huge component was the flexibility. And the reason I chose it over any other MBA was because they were ranked consistently either number one or number two for this style of MBA. And this is around the world. So they were competing with, um, in particular, Imperial College in, in London for this type of MBA, one or two in the world. And so that was a huge factor. If there have been such good reviews and such good rankings year after year after year for something like five years or more, perhaps, um, I figured it, it seems like the reputation is there for me to learn um, in a very dynamic manner with the people from all over the world. And that's what is wonderful about the degree I've chosen is that I'm learning with people from... I'll start with, you know, the Americas, then you got Mexicans, people from Peru, a few Colombians there, um, South America, then you got Canadians and you've got Euro Europeans, Eastern Europeans, those from Spain. Um, and then you got people from Japan and, and Southeast Asia. And, and I think there's only two Australians, but it's a wonderful immersion in the global um, community. And I'm learning about business and and even testing my ideas with them and and seeing their perspectives and and really getting this global view, understanding that you know often in Australia we are in a bit of a bubble, you know, closed off and and um, don't get all these views, these various views. And with this MBA, I'm able to learn these different perspectives, which I think is really helping me 
become, you know, a better citizen of the world or a better person in general. Well said. And so when do you plan to finish your degree? I plan to finish the degree uh, in about late July this year. So 2022, late July. The degree can go from one and a half to two years, depending on the intensity you take it. I'm, you know, trying to take a quicker route. So it's a year and a half. So it'll be finished July this year. And have you got a plan for what you're going to do once you finish? Are you going to stay in Colombia? Are you planning to travel? Are you going to come back home to Australia? What's the plan? Well, I think the first thing to consider would be um, global procedures and whether we can fly back to Australia and the isolation, all this, the COVID business which is going on. Let's assume things are good and there's that period of isolation isn't so strict where I'm from. Um, and we've, we've, we've handled, let's say we've handled the pandemic well by then, then I can fly back. I'll probably fly back straight away, probably within a month. And I plan to work for a large, you know, um, let's say a medium to large battery manufacturer in, in Australia. Um, my plan is to develop batteries using Australian minerals and materials and using Australian labor, making high quality batteries and supplying the internal market of Australia with that commodity that I, I'll be helping produce as well as potentially supplying the world and potentially supplying, I think, South America might be the first the first step in that. Who knows? Interesting. So, well, let's get into that, Tom, because as I understand it, your particular field of interest and your expertise is in battery longevity. So how did this become such an important and personal field of study for you? As you mentioned the start of this episode, I uh, I'm an electrical and electronic engineer, and we've I've done a few courses on you know batteries, how they're put together, the general workings of them. But it wasn't until you know this is quite personal. But it wasn't until I I woke up in hospital after a coma. So uh, approximately a week I was in a coma. I woke up and and the doctor told me that I have a implanted cardioverter defibrillator which is a device which, you know, monitors your heart. And the thing about those devices is they have a battery. The battery doesn't conk out, yeah. And then I was thinking, oh, you know what, I'm an engineer. You know, at first I couldn't speak a whole lot. I was, I was really mumbling. And, and I, I remember asking a really wispy voice and I said something like, so how long will the, how long will the battery last? And, and the doctor said, you know, if you're lucky, it'll last eight to ten years. And it made me think, well, you know, I know I'm in a hospital bed right now, but I'm an engineer. I'm an electrical engineer. I have a passion for health and fitness. In fact, health and fitness is what put me in the hospital in the first place, unfortunately. But then, you know, I like solving problems. I have very interest for business, having run a business in the past, very different business. But then this idea clicked in my head, what if we can extend the life of these batteries? And what can I do to, to do so? And I wrote a proposal and I got accepted at a few universities and, you know, COVID came and changed things around. And I eventually went with, um, with IE, which I'm incredibly grateful for, you know, getting late, just scraping through with the requirements of, um, of work experience. Because as you mentioned, I'm quite young and these MBAs, I think it's seven years, seven years of, of, 
of work experience in particular with um with leadership yes yeah that's that's right and that was you know i just scraped in with with the work i did whilst i was at university luckily i was in a in a role where that applied and i got in and and now i'm i'm on to the next thing which is trying to study hard get good results learn more importantly learn about these these processes of operations and and the finances behind manufacturing and trying to create ties with particular individuals in Australia who are endeavouring um, to conquer the same issue that I am. So I'm very excited to get into that field. And when I finish the study, we'll, um, we'll see what's next. But I'm incredibly eager to, to extend the life of batteries and, and supply Australian batteries. Well, it's got a real human touch to it. So you, you mentioned, if I can just go back to that, you mentioned waking up in hospital after being in a coma for a week. So, Tom, what actually happened? Yeah, well, I mentioned that it was um, induced somewhat by my, my health and fitness, one of the things which I, I really pride myself on. And what happened was I was I exercised a lot. I had exercise up to, you know, twice a day, heavy weights in the morning and other activities at night. And this particular morning, and it was the 11th of February, 2018 and i was running on the beach with my my friend my very close friend and we're running on the beach doing some sprints and you know we're looking at each other while we're sprinting saying you know i'll beat you watch me and you know i don't know who won in the end but um i got back to where we started and i was feeling faint and i, I looked over him and i said i'm feeling faint um it's likely i might pass out and the next thing I know is I woke up in the hospital. So that was quite frightening. But there's a whole period in between, which is very interesting, which is my friend who was a physicist. So he was, you know, he's quite switched on. He used my, my thumbprint on, you know, my, my thumbprint to unlock my iPhone at the time and call the emergency, emergency number, triple zero. And we're very fortunate. It was Sunday morning. He's commenced CPR saying, you know, I gotta, I gotta act now. And then incredibly luckily, a, a doctor was walking past said, well, that's a really strange place to practice CPR. And then my friend said, this is not practice. It's not practice. No, the doctor ran off and got lifeguards and they came up and brought a Oxyviva tank, which is, you know, hundred percent, hundred percent oxygen. Um, and then ambulance got there within eight minutes, which is incredible. That's fast. So where was this? This was in this was in WA. Yeah, it's on North Cottesloe Beach, which is a um, you know a pretty affluent area, and the roads to this beach you know are quite accessible, and the hospital wasn't that far away. The ambulance must have been either. They got there, they carried me up this little rocky little little path, little rocky path um, on a stretcher, and they gave me two shots of fibrillator. The first shot didn't do anything. Second one, they saw the heart signals. So that was a good sign. And I was technically alive at that point. I have no memory of this. I think they put me in the coma at the time or as soon as I got to hospital. And then, you know, I woke up six, six and a half days later. And this is quite a funny story. I remember there was a calendar, you know, the calendar clocks, which show the date and the year and the time. There's a calendar clock on the wall yes. in a hospital where someone was in a coma. <laughs> and for some reason, 
it was out by years, out by years. And I remember I woke up and and I, <laughs> the, the calendar was yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I woke up and they said you've been in a coma. I looked at the calendar and said, and I freaked out looking at this the date and a couple of years later. <laughs> And the, and the doctor said, "I don't know, it's, um, it's wrong. Don't worry, it's only been you know a week." And um, yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah, but it's been a pretty cool joke to play on on, COVID, on coma survivors. Well, what a story! That's amazing. So, what um, what was your recovery like? That that obviously must have been extremely challenging for you, uh, with all that what happened to come back. It was. I mean, at first, I was. Um, just grateful to be around around my family and my my friends, the people I love were there, and that was the most important thing at the time. And it, it remains to be important for me, but it, it was challenging. Once I, whilst I was in the hospital, I had quite intense inpatient rehabilitation, and that started when I was in the first hospital, and that included things like um, some basic speech. So you may have noticed my speech is not super clear. It's getting there but at the start I, I could hardly say a thing it was whispering and so learning to talk has been incredibly difficult slightly less has been learning to walk I managed to, to get the basics within a couple of weeks quite a big thing for me was that I had lost feeling in my left hand in my left arm at the time and so because I'm left-handed I'm left-handed and you know as an engineer um, studies and and like solve maths problems and all this sort of thing i use my left hand a lot and so and i also love my art so i draw so i lost feeling and at first it was my whole left arm and slowly after a couple of weeks it drew down to my hand and then it drew down to my fingers and then now what is it uh four, four years later it's now in the tips of my tips my fingers so it's not entirely there but it's pretty much there and um you know i'd say yes it was hard but it's you know people around the world go through so much harder things this is really nothing compared to a lot of the injustice which is faced so i'm lucky i'm lucky i had my friend there i'm lucky i had my family my friend i'm lucky my work supported me and allowed me to take the time off and i'm lucky that you know I was taken care of by, by at the time, a very good health system, very good health system that could um, support me through this time. And, and without that, if let's say I was living in a country where there wasn't this access to a health system in, in dire circumstances where you lost the risk, then I may have to pay that out of my pocket. And that would be, you know, I would be broke after that and I wouldn't be, doing what I'm doing today, I wouldn't be given the opportunity. <laughs> That's so much fun. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be given the opportunity to study um, because I'd need, a, I'd need to maximize my income to pay off this debt. So I'm in grateful, incredibly grateful for the hospital, the ambulance, my friend who did initial CPR, the nurses, my the whole system, and even just the regular taxpayer because ultimately it's the taxpayer, you and my family and friends who – who supported me. So I'm grateful. So Tom, did you ever give uh, or have pause to say, listen, I've had this very serious life event. I think the challenge of studying might be a little bit uh, too much to take on uh, at the time. Or, or was it the reverse where you thought, no, I, I really need to keep going here. This is, I've got to push through. 
Uh, a bit of both. I mean, the, the idea of pushing through um, at the time excited me, but I also knew that I, I absolutely needed to finish my rehabilitation. I needed to to take stock of my life and, and what's important to me and identify which route I want to go down. So um, at the time, I was working you know, in a very large mining company, I was involved in a very interesting project, which is, you know, renewable energy project. So that had me feeling good. However, I was, you know, I wanted, I always wanted to have this international experience. And now I had a really deep motivation for a problem which could be solved, which I may contribute towards solving one day. And I figured that, you know, if I can use this experience I've had, if I can use, you know, the pain at the time, and, and turn this into a, a nice narrative, a nice narrative where I can then perhaps attract funding for this cause and perhaps go to university and then study and, and, and lead myself down this new pathway. So that's what I chose. Um, it was very difficult at times, but there was a combination of excitement to rush into this next thing, but also take stock, realize that there's so many more important things than you know wanting to study overseas or whatever it was that I'm alive and and that's really what matters. Amazing! What an amazing um, human being you are. I'm lost for words. So, um, what sort of progress are you making uh, with respect to the battery longevity research? How's that coming along? Yeah, well, I wrote I wrote a project proposal uh, a couple of years ago now. And that was, you know, very, I'd say, cutting edge. Um, and that was my initial pathway. But then when COVID hit and, you know, I had to deal with this situation as well, I looked for an alternative route to the end, the end, which is to help people with batteries like me or supply better batteries to Australian people. And so I thought, how else can I achieve this goal when, you know, the world is is in a really challenging position with, with, with COVID going on. And so I started to, to, to investigate other routes. So initially I was, I was accepted in, 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 in Oxford in the Battery Health Group Engine Power Department, which is very interesting, but um, I had to choose an alternative route. I had to choose a route which is more applicable to... What you wanted to do. Yeah, but it's not just that. It's that is also achievable in the current climate. I mean, with my health I, at the time, I know at the time there weren't many vaccinations, I think, and it was very difficult to, to get over there. And this is when England was in their, their very first incredibly um, grave wave of, of, of COVID. I think it was 20, when was it? Early last year. Things have improved and I was managed to get my vaccinations and head overseas and things are good. But I chose this route, but also because I realized that what's important in whenever you have an idea isn't just the technicals. What's probably more important is the ability to, to influence, to persuade, to communicate that idea, to lead a team to, um, to come on board to whatever the mission of the vision is. And I thought... The best way for me to do that would be with an MBA, as well as because I, you know, I'd, as I mentioned, I'd married a Colombian. I've been learning Spanish now for, or well, you know, four and a half, five-ish years, 
And there's another opportunity. I can develop my language. I can do a combination of things at once. Instead of working harder, I can work smarter and I can achieve several goals at once rather than what I used to, which is just go hard and, you know, exercise so much and study so much and sleep little. Yeah, what's the rush? Take it easy. I think through the whole process I learned, you know, sometimes it's better to take your time, make decisions where you can achieve a couple of things. Exactly. It's good advice. Well, Tom, it's been wonderful catching up with you today. Very inspirational life story. We wish you well in the future and we will make sure we follow your career with interest. Tom Jenkins, thank you so much for coming on to the Scholars Podcast. Thank you very much.